In these unprecedented times, we need effective immune support. That's why I'm excited to introduce two formulas that work, CV Defense and CV Acute. There's nothing quite like them. CV Defense is a daily preventative. The only supplement that delivers the six most important ingredients to optimize your immune function, including PEA, a critical molecule for long-term immunity at the cellular level. CV Acute is a fast-acting, great-tasting syrup for direct immune activation. It eliminates invaders with a fruit flower and root of patented Chinese medicine. I take it when I feel run down to fend off respiratory infections. Both products are safe, all-natural, and backed by numerous clinical trials. For more information and to order, go to TotalImmuneHealth.com and take advantage of discounts from 30 to 50% just for listening to Intelligent Medicine. That's TotalImmuneHealth.com. TotalImmuneHealth.com for the most exciting immune support products in years. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly go-round, answering your questions. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions. We call it Q&A with Layla because, well, it involves Layla Mutant, who's our nutritionist in residence. So we have a lively colloquy every week on subjects uh, ranging far and wide. Thanks to you, our listeners, who send in questions. How you doing, Layla? Okay, Dr. Hoffman, how are you? Very well, thank you. I was waiting for the word eponymous. Eponymous. It's <laughs> a good word. Word of the day, hey, eponymous. Of the day, yes. uh, uh, which means, uh, you know, I guess... Um, of the same name. Of the same name. Or like right, that. Right, Like that, anyway. Right. So, um, if, if, uh, if Elon Musk had a car and called it a Musk... He would be the eponymous Musk. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Fortunately, he didn't leave it a Musk. Yeah. That's not a good name. A Musk. No. You drive a Musk. <laughs> no. No. Oh, yeah, that's kind of no. musky. Okay. Right. Okay. So uh, mm-hmm. there we go. That's your uh, your airy edition for the week. Uh, <laughs> and so let's get into questions. But not before we run down one of the most, I think, sensational stories of the week. It's in Nature Medicine. Mm-hmm. which is considered, you know, one of the most uh, well-respected international journals yeah. um, in the arena of science. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, sort of get for having lunch before this is, you know, it's a little catch in my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So uh, the title of the article is Fecal Microbial Transplantation, mm-hmm. i.e., poop yes and fiber supplementation in patients with severe obesity and metabolic syndrome it's a randomized double blind placebo controlled phase 2 trial wow okay so the gold standard it's not just like hey you know my aunt Sally had a uh, fecal transplant and she lost some weight no that's anecdotal <laughs> that's uh, n of right. 1 this is a study where they had comparison groups 70 uh, participants were randomized um to either the um, FMT, fecal microbial transplant, mm-hmm. um, or uh, they got a, I guess, a placebo treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the um, results are quite interesting. It made it made them lose weight. It oh. improved their insulin resistance. So there's something. So they did this in people who were obese and had metabolic abnormalities. Metabolic. They had they metabolic had syndrome. insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. And so what this underscores is not that everybody should go out and get a fecal transplant. Right. That's probably not going to fly um, because of the ick factor. But eventually they may design uh, probiotics. Pills. Yeah. You know, poop pills. Not poop really, pills. you know. Not that you want to swallow that either. But a cleaned up <laughs> version of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they, they, patients have severe obesity and metabolic syndrome. Um, and then, it, but oh, the other thing, the other ingredient was to go on a uh, high fermentable and low fermentable uh, fiber supplement diet. So either, either or. Huh. And it turns out that um, the fermentable one was more beneficial for weight loss. Yeah? Mm. Kind of the opposite of the low FODMAP diet. Right? Totally. Yeah. You definitely but, want a FODMAP for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, you want fermentable carbohydrates. Yes. Uh, to feed soluble the Soluble fibers to feed the microbes that you're introducing. So not only yeah. do you have to introduce them, you have to feed them. Interventions were safe and well tolerated. There were no treatment attributed serious adverse effects. We provide proof of concept for the use of a single dose. One dose. They didn't have to do it multiple times. FMT combined with daily... Oh, wait a minute. They actually say... Hmm, correction. Hmm. Low fermentable fiber supplementation. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. So, so, so actually that would argue So a for, low FODMAP diet. Yeah, a low FODMAP diet. I apologize. Uh, you know, reading the fine print here. And so uh, you do not want that gaseous fermentation because that can lead to SIBO, mm. which may not be so good for metabolism. Huh. And so... Um, so it's going to feed the, it, the bad it, bacteria, right? Right. It might feed the bad bacteria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I wonder, you know, they, they didn't have a treatment arm, which was just the daily low fermentable fiber supplementation group. I'm not sure... It could be that the low FODMAP diet also provides benefits in terms of metabolism and weight loss. It is a restrictive diet, so any restrictive diet is going to cause some weight loss. Anyway, uh, power of poop, right? Power of poop. Yeah. Right. It's, is, is that the title? Because it's a great title. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, okay, I, uh-huh. I think we talked about this. Um, I certainly talked about it on my weekend show. Researchers in Poland hmm. uh, treated... Two patients who had both C. difficile diarrhea, you know, the terrible refractory diarrhea, yes. didn't respond to antibiotics. So, actually, a mainstream treatment is now fecal transplant. It's you, it, this is wow. not illicit. This is mainstream. That's the way you fix bad C. difficile. And patients wow. who are on their last legs, they're, they're, they're becoming emaciated because of chronic refractory diarrhea. They're in yeah. misery. Yeah. It, they, they get fixed with one or two transplants. Okay, so. What was interesting about those patients with C. difficile is they also had COVID. <gasps> they had moderate to severe COVID. And that's huh. a bad combo because you got the diarrhea going on yeah. with an infection and you have COVID. You I could, you could, it. yeah, you could be in serious trouble. Yeah. They gave them the fecal transplants and they had a dramatic turnaround in their COVID. Wow. Now, again, no comparator group, observational study. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, two. N of two, just two patients, but you know, really underscores they, the importance of the microbiome for immunity. Absolutely, versus COVID. they could have been getting over their COVID anyway. 
Well, that, well, well, one could say, you know, that yeah. it was like lucky, you know, that yeah. you just, yeah. right. But, but fecal transplant, that's really powerful. Yeah. And we do know that, I mean, there are, uh, there, there are map overlays that show the severity of COVID uh, correlating with mm. absence of fermentable foods in the diet. Mm. Uh, countries that uh, have ultra-processed foods, not natural things like yogurt or kimchi or sauerkraut, uh, sauerkraut pickles, uh, what have you, mm-hmm. that they are more, their populace is more likely to experience serious, serious COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And, and you Interesting. know, also there may be the metabolic thing because insulin oh, resistance sure. makes COVID right. worse. And it's people with obesity and diabetes that fare worse. Exactly. So, in COVID, it's so. all roads coming together on the microbiome. The, the microbiome yeah. is the, it's, it is such an exciting paradigm, and yeah. there are companies rushing to deploy this technology. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. how do you sell poop? You know, you can't patent it, you know. <laughs> but if they come up with a something of verisimilitude to yes. the benefits of poop, they identify the beneficial bacteria, and they make a medical-grade probiotic, not just yeah. an ordinary probiotic, which are good, but you yes. know, very targeted. Very, very targeted. They could target obesity. They could target... Immunity. They, they can target C. diff. They can target yeah. Crohn's disease. They can target. They would develop for colitis. They yeah. might develop even for uh, vaginitis and UTIs. Yes. They're, yeah. For SIBO. Absolutely. Maybe for SIBO. Yeah. yeah. Those more small intestines. The right probiotic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Interesting. Love this, you know, microbiome stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be becoming the last word on everything. Yep. Yeah, there's obesity, there's diabetes, but it might have everything to do with your microbiome. Yep. You change that, and it can change the outcome, or change well those it, it's metabolic. Sort of, it, it kind of speaks to the issue of what's called infect obesity. Is Ooh. that obesity may be an infectious disease to some extent? Ah. Is that you get infected with the wrong bacteria? Yeah. Through bad diet or overuse of antibiotics. Antibiotics, yes, by the yes, way, yes, make yes, you yes. gain weight. Yes, they do. Yeah. Absolutely. And they've shown in previous studies that if they take, you know, uh, uh, do a fecal transplant from fat mice into yes, skinny mice, yes. those skinny mice become fat and, and, vice versa. and vice versa. Yes. Which is fascinating. Well, this is the vice versa. This is, yeah. We're saying, fine, mice. Okay. We now have a treatment for mice. You know, mice eat poop. They do. Yeah, they do everything. everything. When I was a kid, I did like a lot of science experiments, and I said, "What are these mice doing? They're, you know, look, you have food over there. Why are you eating that? Maybe that's their fecal transfer." Ah, now please, everybody, don't do this at home. No, no, that, that's, that's a that's a mouse thing. <laughs> it's a mouse thing. It's right. not a human thing. Thank you yeah, don't for that caveat. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's like those commercials where they drive really crazy and they yeah. say, "Do not attempt." And do not attempt. <laughs> do not attempt this at all. That's funny. Oh, well. Okay, on to questions. Yep. We've got one from from Ellen. Uh, Dr. Hoffman, we live in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Do you have any recommendations for an alternative medicine doctor for somebody ending chemo and a bone marrow transplant? This is my nephew, and his system is so depleted, he needs help. Okay. Um well, yeah. Through the miracles of modern technology, you can go to various 
organizations. You can go to ACAM.org. You can go to yes. ISM, mm-hmm. Institute for Functional Medicine. Right. Uh, the naturopaths have a branch of naturopathy, the NDs, where it's uh, naturopathic oncology. Yes. And um, you can then look at a directory and make it geographic, make it you know where you live. Yeah. Now, one of the nice things about COVID is that COVID is has really revolutionized telemedicine. Mm-hmm. And so... Whether people want to or not, telemedicine is in. Yeah. At this there point. are certain restrictions on telemedicine for some people to practice um, out of state, you know, that they're, you know, whatever, interstate commerce, I don't know, yeah. restrictions. Um, so it, it may, there may be limits to that. Um, I mean, I've loosened my strictures about the way I treat patients. I treat some patients long distance without them yes. actually coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. it is conventional and usually required mm-hmm. that you see a patient, do a physical exam, a patient lay hands on them, and then you can continue via telemedicine. Right, right. Uh, there, we have a good colleague there, right? Yes, Lise Altschuler. Who is a naturopathic oncologist and yes. quite distinguished. She wrote the um, Definitive Guide to Cancer, mm-hmm. which is Which still is always on the bookshelf, which we're always referencing. Useful book. Yes. Uh, she is a real expert on this subject. And she is in Tucson. I don't know to what extent she is seeing patients. I think on a limited basis she's seeing patients, but mm-hmm. she does a lot of writing and research. Mm-hmm. And uh, she also does uh, participates as a co-host of a radio program mm-hmm. uh, with Carolyn Gazella. I've been a guest on her program. Ah. And so I don't know to what extent she's open to taking new patients. She's in Tucson, which is, you know, down the pike, you know, yeah. 90 miles or 100 miles. Um, she um, mm-hmm. may... Also, if you find her and query her, she may be able to give you a lead as to who is an active practitioner mm-hmm. uh, in the Arizona area. Yes, yes, yes. So, Lise Alshur, or also go to acam.org. That's acam.org. Put yeah. in your zip code, and you'll likely find her on a list There's there a anyway. GeoFinder there. GeoFinder, yes, yes. Ellen, best of luck with your with your nephew. Wow. Okay. We have a question from Michael. Hi, Dr. Hoffman and Layla. In addition to DGL endofin, what type of diet do you advise for patients when they have a flare-up of GERD? Thank you and continue to inform and enlighten people about their health concerns. So, yeah, people who have GERD, gastroesophageal reflux uh, disease, it's called a disease. There it is. Okay. So, in addition to taking something like DGL, deglycerizated licorice, which is helpful for soothing the esophagus, the gastric mucosa, endofin, doing the same thing, especially in those with, in, with really uh, irretractable GERD, the, the combination of DGL and endofin is really pretty powerful. But beyond that, you want to be on a GERD diet, not just take these and eat that chili dog with loads of hot sauce on it or whatever it is you're doing that's causing your GERD. So what, what's the difference between our GERD diet mm-hmm. and the standard recommendations of gastros for GERD? I, the standard recommendations may not go far enough. They don't, they don't uh, include gluten as a possible source of GERD. And we know, and you don't have to have a gluten sensitivity to, to eliminate it to see if it works for you. Uh, we used to, back in the day, See if somebody had a gluten sensitivity before we remove the gluten from their GERD diet. We're just speaking strictly GERD now, not gluten sensitivity in and of itself or or anything like that or a wheat allergy. But now we find that that it's helpful for everybody 
with GERD. How so? has your experience with Atkins? You worked with Atkins, yeah, uh, prior to you know, prior to his death, and mm-hmm. uh, then came over to work with me. Um, how has your experience with a low carb diet informed oh, yeah. your perspective on GERD? Because oh, yeah. uh, I remember once uh, Atkins, I think, wrote a paper about uh, yeah. the. It was sort of. Um, serendipitous finding yes. that he treated a lot of patients with his low-carb diet, you know, yeah. for diabetes, for high cholesterol, Yeah, it was pretty weight, much the same you know, Atkins diet for Very low-carb diet. That was yeah. his thing. And some patients said, well, incidentally, you know, in addition to my whatever... Um, my GERD's gone. I, I, I noticed my, my GERD is yeah. vastly improved on this diet. So yeah. what's up with that? What's up with that is because you've removed... All the uh, all the grainy carbohydrates, the the carbs with the most amount of carbohydrates, gluten is also gone, grains are gone. So what happens invariably, and I've seen this over and over and over, somebody who does very very well on a low carb diet, and then one day they decide to cheat, they have a piece of bread or toast, and the GERD comes even if it's like roaring oat back. bread or, or even if it's oat bread, bread, it doesn't or, really yeah. matter. It comes roaring back. Yeah. So it's a matter of these particular grains, not necessarily about the gluten, but in many cases, gluten. When somebody's having a piece of toast, that's what they're having. They're not looking for a gluten-free. And it's about the fermentable nature of yeah. starchy carbohydrates. Yes, right? yes, causing the GERD. Whereas they're able to eat things like uh, tomatoes and raw green bell peppers and some hot sauce and things like that hmm. on a low-carb diet. Uh-huh. So it's very different from the GERD diet in, in that way. Right. So anytime a patient is coming in and they have several things they want to address, GERD, obesity, some metabolic syndrome, right. something like that, the low-carb diet takes care of all three. Well, in addition to weight loss, yeah, less pressure on, less the, pressure on, the, on the abdomen, yeah, exactly. which pushes the contents upwards. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And anybody even suffering with the hiatal hernia, they're less symptomatic once they undergo some weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's beneficial uh, that way. Okay. So when they have a flare-up of GERD, Michael, is to really come back and be strict on the diet, whether it is the GERD diet or a low-carb diet, something like that, to take the pressure off and to, uh, yeah. And the flare of GERD can be not just diet-related. It could be for stress. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I can think of stressful moments where you feel like oh, right here agita yeah like that yeah right it's that kind of a thing it could be stress but for many who have GERD it's they're helped greatly by diet DGL and okay. endorphin good there was a time we were using something called D-limonene yeah D-limonene has uh, potential yeah. in the treatment yeah yeah and that, that was interesting it was popular for these... a while and I think it still mm-hmm. may have some utility yeah yeah so, Michael, that's what we do. Aloe. Yeah, aloe. Oh, aloe can be helpful. Yeah. Aloe can be helpful. And other things with GERD is you don't want to eat at, you know, 9 p.m. and go to bed at 10 p.m. Right. You shouldn't be. You need to digest first. That means sitting up straight, not even laying back on the sofa with the remote control yet. You know, that's right. that's not. So you want to be sitting up at least three hours before laying down. Otherwise, that's a problem for GERD as well. So, Yeah. Yeah, and some use of aloe has been helpful, too. Right. Michael. Thank Dreg I don't yeah. have that. Oh, I'm yeah. a little dyslexic I'm so today. Yeah. Okay. 
good point at which to uh, pause because we want to offer our sponsors an opportunity to share a vital message with you. So here it goes. Did you know that olive oil is at its peak of flavor and nutrition right after it's fresh pressed at harvest time? That's why my favorite olive oil is delivered to me direct from the latest harvest, thanks to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and as a listener of Intelligent Medicine, you can try a bottle of their finest artisanal olive oil, normally $39, for just $1 with no obligation to buy anything else. I've been enjoying these harvest fresh olive oils for years. They are far and away the brightest, most lively, and flavorful olive oils I've ever tasted. Their antioxidants and polyphenols are off the charts because they're fresh from the harvest. They make store-bought olive oils taste dull and flat by comparison. Taste for yourself. Check out this generous trial offer and get your $39 bottle for a buck with no obligation to buy anything else. Visit MyFavoriteOliveOil.com. In my case, it truly is. MyFavoriteOliveOil.com myfavoriteoliveoil.com Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting our sponsors. They're what make Intelligent Medicine continuing free resource to you. And now back to our questions. Okay, this comes from Rona. Dear Dr. Hoffman, I've asked this question to every well-known sleep expert I could find. Okay. No one could so, answer the question. <laughs> trying your luck with us, huh? Yes. But I'm betting you will have a really excellent opinion. Wow, thanks for... Yeah. It's tough being us. Yeah. The question is whether fragmented sleep punctuated with supplements, after which I fall asleep easily, but I do awaken three or four times a night, is doing my health harm. I sleep in one and a half to two hour increments. After 3 a.m., I sleep for three to three and a half hours with these supplements. Rona is 81 years old, hmm. who hikes, bikes, skis, no underlying conditions, wow. no medications, yeah. but I do have reflux, which is controlled. Hmm. I don't eat for three hours before bed. Very good. Sleep on a wedge pillow. I follow every item in Layla's sleep protocol, probably meaning sleep hygiene. Okay. More than anything. Right. So she's taking things like um, uh, melatonin is not helpful because it only lasts an hour or so even when she takes time release. Mm -hmm. Now she takes protocol for life magnesium, which is a magnesium three and eight, okay. which is good for you know blood-brain brain, barrier, brain, right. an hour before. And she takes other things that contain 5-HTP, GABA, valerian, <laughs> and some more magnesium. She wakes up an hour and a half later, takes some more tryptophan, go goes back to sleep, <laughs> wakes up again, takes some more of the stuff, falls back to sleep. I guess that's what happens when you're 81. The sleep cycles do change. Yep. They do shorten. Yeah. And even with the wonderful protocol yeah. that she's on, that's pretty good. I mean, she may have kind of constitutional fragmented sleep. Some people have a sleep architecture that is a little uh, shaky. Yeah. Um, one thing that I might suggest is CBD. Mm. You know, that doesn't sound like that's yet in her arsenal. Uh, right. She doesn't to, mention that at all. Go yeah. to cbsciences.com or pluscbdoil.com mm -hmm. and look at some of the products. They have some sleep gummies now uh, yeah. that are relatively moderate potency of CBD. You can also get the really high test CBD yeah. now, 50 milligrams per per uh, gel cap that could, um, mm -hmm. that could, you know, yeah. I mean, it's worth a try. Well, here's the good news. She says, I'm in bed for seven and a half to eight hours and I'm awake for only 15 minutes during the night. So it's like she's waking up to take these doses. Wow. 
Maybe you should stop maybe you should stop taking the doses because you're waking up to take these things when right. yeah. Well, what if you just some people With, then chicken, wake up as a habit. It's of, a chicken and This egg is what thing. I have to yeah, do now. This is what I'm thing. doing now. I mean, you know, she could certainly try to just front load and and you know abandon the option to because she may be self conscious, like oh, you know, it's time to get up. Whatever. I don't right. know right, what's right, going right, on right, behaviorally right. there that might reinforce fragmented sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, best of luck, Rona. You've got quite the regimen there. That's that's so yeah. interesting. Oh, and and she's very faithful to it. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, it's not... It, it's, people really worry about sleep, and that sounds like, especially for someone who's older, that may be an acceptable... Uh, level of rest, mm-hmm. you know, and not something to worry about. I think people are getting a little neuroticized by sleep. We message so much about how important it is to get sleep. Yeah. And what it does for people who have trouble getting to sleep is it makes them worry about something that yeah. does not respond to peak to effort. And right, worry. exactly. You know, exactly. you can't force it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's like uh, performance anxiety about sleep. And uh, we, we also have sleep trackers now. And actually, I read a recent study about sleep track. I mean, I talked to, you know, like in my family, there's like young, you know, millennials, and they ha- all have sleep trackers. They have devices that, that, that um, you know, everything is so, uh, there's such a uh, quantitative aspect to life, you know. Like yeah. It's so t- How even, well did even, I sleep last night? Yeah, oh. it's like, check, oh, I slept really well. You yeah. know, or I didn't or sleep I didn't well. sleep well. Yeah. So, for, for some people, though, it's dictating to them, oh, I shouldn't feel that great today. I should be more tired because my sleep tracker says I didn't sleep well. Yeah. How much suggestion is going on? Yeah. There? And how how uh, how uh, confident are we in a sleep tracker? Right. And so, so, so ultimately what the study revealed is that the sleep trackers did not have a beneficial effect on sleep quality. Right. They, they increased sleep awareness, <laughs> but they did not ultimately achieve the goal of improving sleep. Now, for a lot of people, it's just a matter of adopting your habits, you know, early to bed, early to rise. Yes, early to bed, early to rise. You want to establish circadian rhythms. This is one of the most important things for our Regulate your light. We could ever do. Regulate the light. Start winding down. Stop looking at your electronic devices an hour or two before bedtime. You know, or even if you must use it, wear, wear the proper glasses to filter that out. I take, so that I take everything light. off. You know, I don't, I don't want like mm-hmm. a watch even because mm-hmm. a watch will make me reflexly look at the time and mm-hmm. that's not really conducive to sleep either. Is to, like, no. Wake. It's like, oh wait, you know, I, it's only like one o'clock, you know. You sleep with your watch on? No. Oh gosh. Oh, I take that. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Turn that clock radio away. Yeah. You know, that digital, yeah. Yeah. especially if it's red or blue light, yeah. the green light is probably the least offensive, but still turn it away from yourself. And, and Draw the blinds, the curtains. Use the blue blocker filters on your uh, devices. You know, I like to read a little in bed, and I don't have physical yeah. books, but I use I use a, a you know very dim white on black, and already at ten Good. o'clock I've got the blue blocker mm-hmm. automatically on my mm-hmm. um, on my devices. That, mm-hmm. You know, it's timed to go that that type exactly. of light, which activates the brain, is turned off. Yeah. So I get a little color. Um, distortion when I'm reading later mm-hmm. uh, or looking at pictures, mm-hmm. but I'm not getting a lot of blue light, which activates the brain. Right, and right, right. Not good. I don't really have trouble sleeping. Yeah, 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 not good. The other thing about sleep hygiene is make sure that the bedroom is 
not too warm. It cool. needs to be cool. cool. Yeah. That's conducive for staying asleep. Yep. Most people don't have trouble falling asleep. It's the staying asleep part. And we'll, and a warm room can cause you to wake up yeah. for no good reason. Yeah. For no good reason. Yeah. Right. So. A good point at which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. And in part two, we're going to take up some questions. Give us a preview. What is your opinion of hydrogen water? Hmm. Claims are made for athletic and immune system benefits. All right. Let's take that up in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today with Layla Mutant, it's our weekly Q&A with Layla. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions. We try to make it simple. Radio program at AOL.com. Send your questions and we'll answer them. This is Intelligent Medicine.